Howdy. Uh, I'm Brady Dale. I'm a reporter for Axios. Uh, and uh, I'm here with Claire from Gemini. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, Claire Ching from Gemini. I run the global institutional business at Gemini. Um, for those of you who are not aware of what Gemini is, uh, we're a crypto exchange and custodian um, that is regulated by the New York DFS. We're available in 70 different countries. And uh, the organization has been around for, it was founded in 2014 by the Winklevoss twins. Um, so yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, an exchange here. Uh, there's been some exchanges in the news this year, so that's uh, an interesting topic. Um, but we're here to talk about stablecoins. Uh, so, so Claire, just start us off. You know, stablecoins are these cryptocurrencies that try to have stable value. I remember back in the history of crypto when people thought that was an impossible thing to do uh, in crypto, but now they're pretty accepted. What do people want stablecoins for? Yeah, I mean, I think the value proposition for stablecoins is pretty straightforward, right? In the sense that I think everyone that's at this conference, like, what are we going after? We're going after instant, cheap payments that's available, right? And, and I think that that's really, you know, the, the primary driver that, that people are after. And the uses for it, right, um, if you think about it, like, it was really originally created uh, so that People thought when, when crypto first sort of rose, it was really just Bitcoin. And so people originally tried to pay for things in Bitcoin, right? But then the volatility of the Bitcoin, you know, I think as humans, we're generally just a little bit sort of discombobulated when we have so much volatility in a certain asset. And so you don't really want to see the price of your pizza increasing and decreasing, like a slice of that, by 30 50% intraday. So, um, you know, stablecoins was really created as sort of like a, a tokenized version of a dollar that you can, you know, put in a dollar and get one you know, stable coin for that, and then also be able to convert it back um, for full value. Well, right, but that's not really what people, I mean, it's, that's sort of the long-term theory, but what are people using it for, like on exchanges, like right now, like how do they? Oh yeah, of course. So basically, you know, if you're on a crypto exchange and you're buying Bitcoin or whatever token, you can convert that back into um, a stable coin instead of a dollar. I mean, you can do either really, but when you hold onto the stable coin, what you can do is that you can instantly send it to somewhere else, like let's say another venue where you can use that to buy an NFT or to interact with the decentralized finance world um, or another crypto exchange maybe to take advantage of whatever price differences that you see there. And so there's this sort of fluid um, nature to it that, that's very useful, that's very helpful. Secondly, I mean, I think, you know, sitting in my seat, uh, you know, along with retail users, we also have a lot of institutional users that are on the platform. And so that could be a hedge fund manager potentially. And in their use, like, we're starting to see that clients are intaking their limited partners or LPs um, uh, investments in their fund in a stable coin, receive that, um, aggregate it, and then send it out, convert it to dollars, and send it out to their bank at once, right? Because, and then what do they get from that? They get the fact that they receive these stable coins in subscription you know, funds for, for really zero transaction fees, effectively. Because um, Gemini and m many crypto exchanges like, cover the transaction cost in terms of converting that and also um, sending it. And so they get that, and then they bulk, you know, like accrue it, and then they send it out as one wire back to whatever their fund's bank is, right? So instantly, there's a reason to use it all of a sudden. And it's been pretty fluid. Um, so far, so we've been, it's, it's been very nice to see that. Yeah. I would throw in one more use case for stable coins. What I would say the biggest use case out there right now is, is like you're a trader. So especially during times of volatility in the market, like 
if you are on an exchange and you've got this thesis that you know some random little token is going to pop in value for a minute, you you switch you switch into you buy it out of your stable coins, it pops up in value, and you sell it back again for more stable coins, and you've got more stable coins. You got more money. I, I would say that's the main thing people are really using it for in the world right now. It's just sort of like getting back to a stable value on exchanges while they sort of play differences between tokens in the market. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that in that case, right, you're, it's really just the it's really just the it's the digital version of a dollar, if you yeah, will, right? right? Like it's for nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great for it's great for like arbitragers, right? Like if you want to like if you see a difference between two exchanges, you can bounce between them really quickly without having to go through banks, which sort of take forever, you know, and have all these different layers and stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely, Brady. Yeah. I didn't realize you were such an avid trader, like <laughs> just trading constantly. I here. talk to traders. I talk to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, enough. I remember back in 2017 yeah. when stablecoins first came out, and folks were like. What do you even want these for? You know, mm -hmm. isn't the point? You know, isn't the you know? It's just like aren't this supposed to all be loose? It's just like no. It's a way that you can like get a little win and then get back to a stable value before you go for your next win. You know, mm. or loss. It can also be a loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I t when we were talking, I told you I, I know I know traders who, for example, there's a stable coin called Dai that people really like. It's kind of a decentralized stable coin. And, um, you know, it's on Ethereum. And I know people who just have permanent buy orders on different exchanges that are just like, if DAI drops below a dollar, they just buy $1,000 worth of it because they believe it'll always come back to a dollar and they sell it again when it goes back. You know, it's just like, and they see that as just like easy money. And usually that does work out. One day it might not, and then they'll lose that thousand. But, you know, so far they've been doing okay. Um, so, so, yeah, the... Um, the idea that you said about sort of using it for LPs and subscriptions of funds, like we're starting to see other uses out there. We're starting to see a, a more uh, robust, real, full crypto economy where people are like sort of spending money and sort of buying services from each other. Can you, any other examples you can give in there that you think is interesting? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, more recently, if you've seen like sort of in the Ukraine crisis, um, there's definitely, you know, the UN tapped like the Stellar blockchain to send USDC effectively. And then from that USDC that they, you know, people received, they were able to, because of the integration that Stellar Network had with MoneyGram, they were able to get physical dollars or, you know, cash and whatever currency that they needed from the Telegram locations, which I think is pretty amazing in that sense. Um, and I think those integrations are happening, you know, more and more, right? I think because we're all, you know, situated in the U.S. here, we don't really worry about the actual value of the dollar um, and the fluctuation of that. But if you're in an emerging economy in a developing world where the currency does fluctuate a lot and it's been really plagued by, you know, historically, like, a lot of inflation, right, and hyperinflation in some of those, some of those like, countries. And so... There are times where I think, you know, we are seeing use cases now, right, in, in Latin America um, and, and Africa as well, where uh, merchants actually will receive or ask to receive um, in stablecoin, like payments for goods and services in stablecoin, and then that um, basically increases, there like lies a natural demand for a payment processor then to say, okay, wait a minute, I'm receiving, you know, stablecoin, and what do I do with this? And then they're able to set up integrations with different stablecoins or exchanges to kind of, you know, be able to re receive, redeem um, their stablecoins, exchange it to dollars on the exchange, and then send that money back to, you know, to, to sort of their, their, as part of their treasury, right, into their bank accounts directly. So we're starting to see a little bit of that that's happening as well. That's very interesting. But again, like in the U.S., right, it doesn't, it, it does, you don't really quite sort of feel the emergence and how that's kind of creeping out in every corner in some ways. Yeah. And I'm just going to do my reporterly duty and sort of explain one thing Claire mentioned there, which folks might not know about it. She mentioned the Stellar network. And so Stellar is 
probably something that nobody here has heard of. I, I, I'd be surprised <laughs> if any of you had. But it's a, it's a base layer uh, blockchain network. There's a bunch of these out there that can do a variety of things. It's one of the sort of not super big ones, but it's been around for a long time and uh, continues going along. But you've, much more likely you've heard about Ethereum, uh, which is also allows you to do you know, sort of stable coin-like things. But there's a bunch of blockchains out there that enable the, these sorts of functionalities. And, St and Stellar, while it isn't super well-known, uh, has worked kind of especially hard to build these kinds of rails in different parts of the world and to, and to be especially good at, you know, Ethereum kind of tries to be good at everything. Stellar has tried to be especially good at payments, just, you know, so some background there. Um, so, okay, so uh, could you go into sort of the creation and destruction of stable coins in, in as much detail as you feel comfortable doing? Could of like, where do stable coins come from? How are they made? And then how are they sort of like, thrown away and turned back into regular dollars. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, like Gemini, um, we have our own stable coins, USD. And again, like we're regulated by the New York uh, Department of Financial Services. Obviously, the managers, you know, and oversees like local regional commercial banks, trusts, a variety of different organizations, right? Um, in that sense, like, the, you know, our regulators oversee sort of our management of like the stable coin itself. And they um, need to see, you know, attestations for how we're sort of operating, you know, uh, week to week on, on how we're managing the assets, how we're kind of, you know, burning, creating them, redeeming them, and how we're managing the bank accounts. And so if you think about it, well, you know, if, if Brady, you come to me and you say, hey, I like to get, you know, here's some dollars. What you do is that you have an exchange, you have an account on my, on the exchange, you send dollars there, I receive it in my bank account, most likely at JP Morgan, and then I say, okay, this is for GUSD, you want to convert it, then I move that dollar onto the separate bank account that is specifically for, obviously, GUSD sort of like pool and then from there we effectively you can see that we have a smart contract on the ethereum blockchain that is gusd like it's it's fully vetted in terms of security protocol and all things like that it's never been hacked um, and on there you see that you know from that dollar it we kind of move that dollar um, and and give you an equivalent um, gusd that's in your account effectively uh, and then you know obviously when you come and instruct us hey i, I no longer want the gusd i want to burn it we we instantly sort of credit your account with the dollars. And what we do is that on the blockchain, we burn the GUSD, and then we obviously move from the pool, like actual dollars from the bank account into your bank account, obviously, like whatever, you know, onto the account on the exchange until, so onto the exchange bank account, and then go out to your bank account, obviously, when you instruct it. So, so it's a very carefully done process. And so on the back end, right, like what, what's happening is that we're managing not just a pool of like dollars, for example, we're managing, that could be like, you know, similar to any bank really in some ways, right? You have dollars, um, you have short-term treasury, you have maybe like, um, you have money market. So it's, it's, it's a range of those things. And, and some of the other stable coins, depending on what they are, you, you get to see like underlying, like, you know, what is the actual composition of that holding? So it could go as far out of the risk curve, if you will, into like commercial paper. It could be, you know, things like that. And so, Obviously, like, you know, the interesting thing, right, about um, stablecoin is that, because, and, and just crypto in general, is that it's available to trade 24-7. So the minute that you hear, like, you know, kind of like the USDC blip um, that we saw, you know, where the value of it crashed to 0.87, which is like the lowest it's ever had, like, in its history of creation, is that there was a fear that there's a run, obviously, on um, the underlying, you know, holdings at certain banks that was going down. And because you can access stable coins in these markets instantly, you know, over the weekend, you could actually really start to see a crash and, and sort of sell into that a, a lot more. Um, but yeah. 
So you mentioned uh, USDC there, just a, a couple stable coins. So GUSD, Gemini USD, one yes. her company operates, and then uh, USDC is um, USD coin. It's operated by Circle in a collaboration with Coinbase. I'm never quite clear on what that relationship is, but they started it together once upon a time. It's mostly Circle, um, and there's a few other stable coins out there. Pa Paxos has one, the biggest stable coin in the world, the third largest cryptocurrency in the world is called Tether. There's all kinds of questions that surround Tether, but it is very big and very important. Um, and there's been some other ones that are sort of not so clear dollar for dollar. But let, let's stick with the sort of basic classic stable coin. It's just, it's, you know, you drop in dollars, you get something else out. Mm -hmm. They don't usually, especially for the big guns, they don't tend to stay like all just dollars, right? Like what are some of the different, kind, like what do you guys put them in? Like what do you... Yeah, it's a mix of dollars, money market funds, and uh -huh. short-term treasury. Okay. Yeah, so like extremely liquid assets, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And the reason why a company wants to run a big stable coin, right, is because there's a variety of reasons. I mean, obviously, very, it's, they're very helpful to exchanges. Like exchanges just couldn't function without them at this point. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the profit kind of, if you, get, if you get to be a big stable coin, you have a nice seniorage profit over time, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that like the, it's sort of like running a stable coin probably looks kind of similar to running a bank in some ways, mm -hmm. right? In the sense that like you have deposits and then you can use those deposits to put them into like credit or like short-term credit, long-term credit, whatever that could be. Yeah. Um, that's really what it is with the exception of the fact that like, let's be very clear that you do not have clarity into what is the bank's like composition in terms uh -huh. of their assets. But you, you actually have quite a bit of that. And there's a lot more regulation, I think, very tightly like by the New York Department of Financial Services over those assets where they will say, hey, uh, you know, we, we need to be very specific on how we're managing that. Yeah. And so it's very transparent and very clear. And so, you know, we have um, uh, basically like monthly attestations, even on the QSIPs that are associated with the assets that we hold that, you know, are like the accounting firms are vetting and auditing and making sure that, yeah, you hold the exact thing that we expect you to hold effectively, right? So there's a lot of, like, regulating that's happening on the background of that. Yeah, for sure. but just so folks can think about it in terms of, like, you know, Tether, we've got, like, I think $82 billion worth of stable coins right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only obligation the company has is they have to redeem any stable coin someone has, any dollar someone has put in and gotten a stable coin for it, they have to get a stable coin back out, right? So it's never, there's never more in obligations than what people have put in. So if they're able to grow that, I mean, $83 billion, even at like a half a percent a year, uh, that's, that's a pretty nice line of like free money if you manage to get to, to be, you know, really large. I means obviously some of that has to go into operations and things like that. But in the USDC case, for example, one of the things we saw that was interesting is so USDC, and correct me if I got anything wrong here, but during the various bank collapses, one of the banks held a piece of their reserves. Mm -hmm. and almost like, I mean, I don't know if it was quite this precise, but nearly to the dollar, sort of people knew how, what percentage of USDC's reserves were on that bank's balance sheet, mm -hmm. and the amount the stable coin dropped, like, very accurately reflected the, the amount, like, if all of that went to zero, if none of that was restored again, like, it was like, I don't know, 12% of their reserves, and like that's basically what the stablecoin went down, right? It went down. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's something funny about um, I think crypto companies um, and just blockchain technology companies in general, where it's like there's this like drive towards like ultimate 100% transparency, and so you know, Circle like candidly came out and said, hey, we hold 3.3 billion exactly at SVB. And obviously, we're working on redeeming, and, and then we're going to see what government actions are going to happen over the weekend. And that's kind of how people figured out very quickly, like, okay, that's what it is, right? Because usually you don't, you know, 
like even for us, right, we're trying to manage our like concentration or exposure risk to different banks or different holders of these assets like fairly fluidly because things can happen quickly, right? And so therefore, you don't actually know what is the exact mix of that at any given time. Like it's possible that, you know, there are obviously other banks that kind of went down that we actually had relationship with as well, but we were lucky that we, you know, were able to pull out like a little earlier mm -hmm. and weren't sort of, you know, stuck in, in, in the situation. But you just don't have a good accurate um, view of that. But I think, you know, everyone is very open in crypto and saying, hey, this is the exact amount at risk. We will update you as it goes through. And it's a, it's generally like a 24 seven, like working schedule, it feels like. <laughs> And is there, like, you work with big institutions, like yes. big investors, like real smart people with complex, you know, risk profiles and stuff. Are there, are there, and I feel like there are, are there folks that you work with who actually, this seems like a funny thing to say, because the whole point of stable coins is to just be stable and boring, but, like, they aren't always. Are there big funds who kind of play stable coins? Like, would, would there some of them been, would have some of them, for example, when USDC tanked, been like, I think they'll be fine, so I'm going to buy a pile of USDC cheap. I mean, is that the kind of thing folks do? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that there, there are lots of sort of arbitrage opportunities, right? Like, this is definitely one of them. And so um, I think that, you know, hedge funds in general are constantly looking for these opportunities to exist in the market where they're fractures and they're taking advantage of that. And the way they think about that is very simple, that like, hey, you know, in the USDC case, like, it went down to like 87 cents. And if you can generate like, you know, a 13% return like over the course of, um, you know, basically that gap was filled by like Monday open yeah. because of announcements and stuff, right? Like you, like there's this idea of like annualize that return. Like if you can always find 7% returns over the course of a day or two out of like, you know, 200, 250, 300, you know, depending on what assets you're trading, like days of trading, then yeah, that's a great return. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that... I guess a natural question, and I feel like, you know, a thing that our regulators in D.C. are saying right now is, like, that kind of trading just seems silly. We have dollars, and dollars mm. don't, you know, like, like are stable coins, are they helpful? Are they, are they a hindrance? Are they, are they gumming up the works, though they feel to us like they're making things easier? Like, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um in this particular case, right, like, you have to think about, like, the market structure of, like, what's happening there. So, clearly, like, you can go to um, USDC and Coinbase and say, I want to redeem and create with you one-to-one -one without any transaction fees, right? But when things start to get really scary over the weekend or maybe, like, in this particular case, actually, I think Coinbase actually, like, paused their redemption ability. Mm -hmm. So, you couldn't, like, it was sort of like you were in a queue to redeem, but you weren't able to get the money in your account all mm -hmm. of a sudden to, to say that you feel safe necessarily. But then, then what happens outside that is that they're trading markets, right? They're like markets where, you know, it's, it's not you're directly redeeming. So meaning like you, it's almost like a primary issuance of stock, right? You, you, maybe you get the stock initially from, you know, a certain issuer and it's at full face value. But as it trades in secondary market, meaning like you're no longer trading with the issuer, but you're trading with each other. It could be me and Brady trading, right? And I'm sitting here thinking like, uh-uh, like I want to be out of this thing. I don't mm -hmm. care if it's, I need to give, you know, 10 cents away on the dollar. Like I'm okay with that because mm -hmm. it could just go to zero. That's really the fear that you're playing with, right? So I think that type of like secondary trading or that market psychology is going to exist in like most things. You know, I think the funny thing about the dollar, right, is that we live in the, again, like 
I live in New York, we live in the US, and you just think, oh, it's a, it's a dollar. But what you don't see, right, is that, like I come from the foreign exchange market, so I've sat on the sales and trading desk at Deutsche Bank, which is one of the global investment banks that has one of the biggest market shares in foreign exchange trading all day long. Like, you know, you're trading, you know, swapping dollars into euro, swapping euro into yen, like swapping yen into Turkish lira. You're doing that all day for different purposes. And in that world, you see that a dollar isn't a dollar, right? Because it's a, this, it's this two-sided um, thing. But we just don't have that relative grasp because you don't go out and think like, well, you're not using another currency. You know, you're not seeing like a hot dog cost actually like 1.15 euros, but tomorrow it's 1.05. And that's not the lens you're seeing the world through. You just have a singular dimension lens. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the difference, I'd say. The last year has given us a little bit more of that perspective. That, <laughs> you know, the dollar, is not, the dollar is not what it used to be. But you're right. Um, <laughs> So, um, do you think do you think stable coins? So, so you know, theoretically, yeah. crypto folks would like to get rid of dollars entirely, right? Like they would like to have some way in which um, they could have a unit of value that it, that just exists on the blockchains and isn't related to like the governments of the world. Do you think it's going to happen? Are stable coins a phase, or um, you know, will they get there? What, what's your take? I mean. I think that, I mean, I guess, like, I, I'm not, like, a maximalist in the sense that, like, yes, like, I work in crypto now and, like, blockchain, but I've only lived in this life for the last two years of my uh -huh. life. I spent all of my training in the traditional financial services world. Um, and I would say that, like, this is an interesting, it's a super interesting and curious experiment, right? Like, we're genuinely touching something very, very new here. Um, and so I don't, like, so I don't have this view that this should just replace, like, the entire legacy system. But I think that these use cases that, you know, we talked about at the beginning as well, are pretty interesting way to test like is it useful you know to whom like wh how does that matter and I think that you know I think in some of the previous sessions like you know there are other innovations that are out there that are like fed now rtp like there are a lot of other you know ways you could do certain things and I think that they should all kind of exist right and figure out like pockets of where that sort of um, where that adoption really takes place. I think it's, it's genuinely just like a very interesting experiment and we'll see how that kind of grows over time depending on like how quickly you can, you know, get that to people and who's touching it and why do they need to access it because, you know, I don't believe, I think that there are lots of copycats now in crypto and blockchain in general where it's just sort of like, oh yeah, it's this, but in blockchain, it's like, well, why does it need to exist in blockchain? Like, I'm not 100% sure. Like, there are things that are, you know, like, when you look at, like, the equity trading world, right, like, trading stocks, like, those markets have been there for, for, for such a long time, and it's a pretty efficient system. Like, if someone came and said to me, like, oh, like, you know, you, let's, let's tokenize, like, stock trading immediately, I'm like, yes, I get the settlement part of it, but the existing system in terms of that works, like, decently well. Like, I'm not sure the, you know, the actual real additional like leapfrog benefit from certain things. So I would love to be convinced. So I guess like as much as I am in crypto, I'm kind of a skeptic crypto person. <laughs> like, I'm like, you have to convince me why this is different and useful, frankly, right? That's what we're really here for, just to make things easier, hopefully. Cool. Yeah. That's a great place to end. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you.